to welcome my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 1st. So if you will recall, our daily devotional is divided into two different segments. We have our verse of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. (coughs) So our verse for today comes from Colossians chapter 3 verses 15 through 14 which says put to death therefore whatever belongs sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God, because of these, the wrath of God is... You need to walk in these ways, in the... Oh, you, <coughs> excuse me, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these... Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, (coughs) and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any one of you (coughs) has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, (coughs) put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So before we go in to too much detail in depth on this rather lengthy passage, here is what I want you to do. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a piece of paper, and I want you to take that piece of paper, and I want you to divide it into three different columns. So in the first column, I want the first column that you divided that you divide it into. I want you to label it as sins of sexual attitude and behavior. The second column, I want you to label it as sins of speech. In the third column, I want you to label it as signs of love. Signs of love. So in that first column that you labeled sins of sexual attitude and behavior, I want you to write these words in that column. I want you to write sexual immorality, the first word. Impurity is the second word. Lust is the third word. Evil desires is the fourth word. And greed is the fifth word. Right, so, you follow me far. So, in that second column that you had there, I had your little sense of speech. Here is what I want you to write in that column. So I want you to write 
anger slash rage. Would you like malicious behavior? Would you like slander? Would you like the language? And I want you to write lying. So that's in the second column that you labeled sins of speech. Now in the third and final column that you labeled signs of love. I want you to write in that column the following things. Right. I want you to write the word gentleness, and I want you to I want you to write the word patience, and finally I want you to write the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. So now that I've had you do this, we're going to reference back to this table that I had you create, right? So we're going to reference back to this table that I had you create. So in Colossians 3, chapter 5, Paul tells us to put to death things that we put in column 1, which would be the sins of sexual attitude and behavior. So those would be sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. So in Colossians 3.89, uh, which says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, <coughs> since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So Paul tells us to rid ourselves of the things that are that I had you put in column two of this table we created. So column two are sins of speech. So that would be anger and rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, and lying. <coughs> so then finally in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, which says, right, for God's chosen people, holy and clearly loved, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. <coughs> so we are told to clothe ourselves with the things that I hand you put in column number three. So that would be the signs of love. So that would be mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. So where exactly am I going with this? Alright. <coughs> so here's what we're going with this, right? So the things that I had you put in column one, so that would be the sins of sexual attitude and behavior, they deal with things of sexual attitude and behavior They are particularly destructive because of what they do to destroy any group or church. So that would be things like sexual immorality, things like impurity, things like lust, things like evil desires, things like greed. Falling so far. <coughs> so the things that I had you put in column two and that I had you label sins of speech, right? 
are those things. They are the relationship breakers. The relationship killers. So what do we mean by that? So nothing kills a relationship quite like anger and or rage or malicious behavior or slander or dirty language or even worse, lying. Are you following so far? However, the things that we put in column three, right, that would be the column that we labeled signs of love, contains relationship builders, which we are to express as members of Christ. So what do we mean by that? So, what are the relationship builders are things like mercy, things like kindness, things like humility, things like gentleness, things like patience, things like forgiveness. So here's what we are to do as followers of Christ. So we are to slowly rid ourselves of the things that we lifted in columns one and columns two. And we are to gradually replace them with things that we put in column three. Right? So we're to gradually get rid of these things that are bad out of columns one and two, and we're to gradually replace them with things that are found in column three. It's a process called sanctification. As you see on the name that you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were justified. That means your sins were forgiven, not just your present sins. And not just your past sins, but your future sins as well. <coughs> so the way we go through life, living without sin as much as we possibly can, because we are still human and we are still going to sin, is through the process of sanctification, which is the process of becoming more and more Christ-like. <coughs> right? So how are we to do that? The process is that we get rid of the old things and we the old bad things in our life and replace them with new good things in our life. So if you notice, the things that I had you list in column 3 closely mirror the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists for us in Galatians. 5, 22, and 23. So what exactly am I talking about there? So let's go over to Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, and see what we're talking about there. Right? So what does it say? Oh. Hold on. Here's what it says, so, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, and some translations, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you notice in column 3, we put down me, we put down kindness, we put down here, we put down gentleness, faith, uh, 
and for Givenness. It's a very, very big mirror between those things. Because the fruit of the Spirit. Right, let me just write about there in Galatians 5. Which would be, um, <coughs> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the ultimate signs of whether or not you are living a Christ-directed and a Spirit-filled life, or whether you are living a sin-filled and a sin-directed life, because you see those that are still have uh, they're still practicing sexual impurity, still practice lust, still have evil desires, still are practicing greed without trying to replace those with good things, and those that are still living with anger and rage, and without trying to do away with the anger and rage in their life, those that are still Acting, acting maliciously towards others without making the attempt, without allowing maliciousness to be changed. Those who still slander others, those who use, still use dirty language, those who still lie are not living a spirit-filled and a Christ-directed life, but they are living a sin-directed life. Which is the exact opposite of the life that you are to live as a follower of Christ. So the Bible readings that you need to do for today are Second Samuel eight, uh, chapter eighteen, verse one through chapter nineteen, verse ten. John chapter twenty, verses one through thirty-one. Psalm 119 verses 153 through 176 and Proverbs 16 verses 14 through 15. So that concludes our verse of the day segment for today for June the 1st. Now we are going to move in to our through the Bible in one year segment for June the 1st. And once again, just a shameless plug, if you have missed any, any, any of these segments, or if you are looking to get caught up with anything else, you can visit upstatechristian.com for these segments and much, much more. So now we're into day 151 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. With our focus for today being on John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57 which will be the conclusion of John chapter 11. So we have already seen Jesus' caring and his compassionate nature toward those who are suffering from any kind of loss. We have also seen Jesus bring a dead man back to life. That could have only happened 
if Jesus is who he says he is. And finally, they we're going to see the reaction to this seventh and final sign that Jesus gave us as proof that he is who he says he is. So in other, in other words, we're going to see the reaction to Lazarus being raised from the dead. So we're going to pick up in verse 45, and we're going to go through verse 48 to start off with. Which says, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Take away both our temple and our nation. So, as with so many of Jesus' other signs, the onlookers were divided into two camps. Those who believed in Jesus, those who did not believe in Jesus, and in turn reported him to the Pharisees or to the authorities, whichever way you want to read it. But we see in Sanhedrin supposed that if they did not do something, the number of Jesus' followers would continue to grow, and everyone the key with there being everyone, right? It would be everybody. That would be all. All means all. Everyone means everybody. The words mean the exact same thing whether they're written in Hebrew, whether they're written in Greek, whether they're written in German, Spanish, French, Italian, Russian. Doesn't matter what language they're in. Everyone means everyone and all means all. They thought everyone would believe in him. And so they then feared that the Romans would strip away their religious freedom and their national identity. So all of this leads us to ask two big questions about these so-called religious leaders of Jesus' day. So the first big question that we got to ask is, why were the Jewish leaders so opposed to Jesus' miraculous signs. Why were they so opposed to his miraculous signs? So with each miracle, we'll see that more and more people became convinced Jesus was the Messiah. Which, uh, so we also see that ironically, ironically, the leaders had earlier asked Jesus, a miraculous sign because of their skepticism that occurred in Matthew's Gospel. John doesn't record that, but it is a fact. They asked for a sign. Jesus gave them a sign, and they chose to ignore that sign because it didn't help them. So, now, so we see now that when they were confronted with the evidence, their only thought was to stop the signs 
so people would not So the people would stop following Jesus. Sorry about that. Had a small slight typo in my notes. And so they wanted to stop the people. They wanted the signs to stop. So the people would stop following Jesus. And, <clears throat> and this was because any kind of uprising. Or any kind of change in the status quo. In other words, they feared that when these people would start to follow Jesus, right, when they would start to follow him, right, this would draw the ire, the anger, the wrath of the Romans, who would then hold these leaders accountable for any public unrest and any disturbance that would then happen under their leadership. So that brings us to the second big question. What were the Jewish leaders afraid of losing? So the answer to that question should be pretty obvious based on the answer that I just gave you for that first question, which was, pop quiz time, why were the Jewish leaders so opposed to Jesus' miraculous signs? You should really write these down. It will help you understand them better. So what were the Jewish leaders so afraid of losing? That's the second question. So they were more self-serving than the people. Which means that they feared Jesus might inside of rebellion, which he had no intention of doing, which was not his plan, and which is not what was going to happen, but it's what the religious leaders feared was going to happen. What they feared was going to happen. And it was this fear of a riot that Jesus might incite, or a bayon that Jesus might recite, that would result in harsh reprisals by the Romans. Because you see, somebody that's in charge of another group of people doesn't look too kindly on a rebellion, particularly in the ancient world. Now, we kind of, sort of, in this day and age, depending on the country in which you live in, depending on the place in which you live in, it may or may not draw the attention of the people in power and authority if you riot, if you rebel, if you cause some sort of public unrest and some sort of public disturbance. But in this time and in this place, do that was literally a death sentence, not only for the person that did it, but for those that were in charge. Right? <coughs> so what they ultimately were afraid of losing was that they feared the Romans destroyed the temple, which was their place of worship. And they would dismantle the Jewish nation by
by the putting the population and if that happened if the Jewish nation was deported scattered across the world right and the temple was destroyed the very seat of these so-called religious leaders power then what would happen what would happen so what would happen is that the religious leaders would suffer loss of power and a loss of prestige that's what they were so afraid of losing that's why they were so opposed to jesus miraculous signs that's why as we go through this they were plotting to kill him but we jumped jumped a little bit ahead of ourselves there so now let's pick up in verse 49 and go through verse 53 which says this then one of them named Caiaphas who was high priest that year spoke up you know nothing at all you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God. To bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So who was this person, Caiaphas, that we see referred to as the high priest for that year? The keeper there is for that year. So according to Jewish law, the high priest was supposed to be appointed for his entire life. And the only way the high priest ceased being the high priest was for him to die and his son to inherit the high priesthood from him. So Caiaphas was the high priest from AD 18 to AD 36. What we see here is that he was only interested in doing what was politically expedient. So that's what it means when he, s <coughs> he says, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He wasn't concerned about the nation of Israel perishing. He was concerned about the fact that if Jesus keeps doing this stuff, he keeps stirring this pot up, he's going to get the people all riled up. They're going to rebel against the Romans, and the Romans are going to come through, they're going to destroy the temple, they're going to deport us, and then we're going to be left in a situation like we were left in, we were caught off into the Babylonian captivity, and then we done lost our power and our prestige. So it was politically expedient for Caiaphas to say, it's better to kill Jesus than to let him keep going with what he is doing. You following so far? <clears throat> so what we see here that his words in verse 50 concerning Jesus' death were prophetic 
in a way that Caiaphas did not understand. Because you see, the death of Jesus would result in salvation not only for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. And then finally, what we'll see at the end of this section is that the Sanhedrin had determined that Jesus must die. Not because he had done anything wrong, but because it was politically expedient. It was the only way they could think of to keep the power that they craved, to keep the power that they had. The only way they knew to do that was to kill Jesus. And so they decided, hey, we're going to kill him, and we're going to start plotting how to do it from now on. So now we're going to finish up this section starting in verse... We're going to finish up this last section of chapter 11. And so we'll be at the very end of chapter 11 when we finish this last section. So we're going to start in verse 54 and go through verse 57. Therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders to anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. So what we see is that Jesus' decision to depart for this village of Ephraim was the result of the Jewish High Council, the Sanhedrin's, which is what the Sanhedrin was, the Jewish High Council. It was essentially the Jewish version of Parliament, the Jewish version of Congress, or whatever term it was, the highest authority in the Jewish world at this time. So what we see, so the reason he left, the reason he departed from the village of Ephraim, so the reason he left Bethany, he left the vicinity of Jerusalem, was because of the Sanhedrin's decision to kill him. This is once again a reminder that Jesus and not his enemies would determine the time of his death because you see the Pharisee and the Sanhedrin wanted to kill him now. They wanted him dead right now. They didn't want they don't want him dead tomorrow. They want him dead today. They want the deed done now. Kill him now and get it over with. So we can end all of these shenanigans that are going on. So that we can get back to the way things ought to be. So let's talk a little bit about this village called Ephraim. So it was located about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. Right, 
so it was located about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. So Bethany was located about 2 miles from Jerusalem, which would have made Bethany within easy walking distance of Jerusalem. It would have made it very easily accessible from Jerusalem. Ephraim, because it was 12 miles away, would not have been so easily accessible from Jerusalem, would not have been so easily accessible from the seat of power. So Jesus withdrew there until it was his time, until it was the time that was right for him to fulfill his ultimate mission of coming to earth. But we also see that Jesus, however, remained the main topic of conversation in Jerusalem. Why? Because all of a sudden they're starting to hear now that, hmm, this man that we weren't quite so sure about, this man who might be the Messiah, who we thought maybe was, he, he probably is, because... Only somebody who was anointed by God, only somebody that had the power of God, only somebody that was really God himself in the flesh, could raise somebody from the dead. Because you see, remember what we talked about yesterday? Lazarus was dead dead. This was not no Lazarus was sleeping, this was not no Lazarus was in a coma. This was not no Lazarus would have been mistaken for being dead. Even in some parts of the world today, no, 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 Lazarus was dead, he was stone cold dead, he was graveyard dead. If you would have called a physician to Lazarus's bedside, when Lazarus was supposedly sleeping, according to some people, that physician would have said, this man is dead. Ain't nothing we can do about him. It's time to put him in the ground. It's time to bury him. But you can't bring him back to life. I cannot bring him back to life. Medical science cannot bring this man back to life. And not only could medical science not bring Lazarus back to life, but according to the very customs of the Jewish people, Lazarus couldn't be brought back to, to life because he'd been in the tomb four days and his spirit had already moved on. His soul had already moved on. So he was dead not only clinically, he was dead culturally as well. So that's why Jesus was still the talk of the town. And now we will see as we move into chapter 12, the beginning of the events. That would ultimately lead to Jesus' trial, to his death, to his burial, and would ultimately end with his resurrection. Which is the whole purpose of the Gospel of John and the whole purpose of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Which is to show us the reason Jesus came. To show us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That nobody comes to the Father but through Him. And that everything that happened while Jesus was on earth was leading up 
to what we are about ready to get into with chapter 12 because we're gonna we're gonna see the last week of Jesus's life covered in these few chapters so we're gonna start in verse 12 tomorrow in order for you to be prepared to start in verse uh, chapter 12 tomorrow, you gotta read Second Samuel chapter 19, verse 11 through Second uh, Samuel 20, verse 13. You gotta read John chapter 21. You gotta read Psalm 120, verses 1 through 7. Then you gotta read Proverbs chapter 16, verses 16 through 17. 